your hour of Thrive Time begins now with your host, Jay Maney, on the Jay Maney Talk Show. Good day, everyone, and welcome once again to the Jay Maney Talk Show. This is Jay Maney, and you have now entered your hour of Thrive Time. I want to welcome those of you visiting this program for the very first time. Thank you for your investment of your time and energy in today's program. I know that whether you are listening to this program here now at this point or in the future as they rebroadcast on any one of your favorite podcast platforms where you can find this program, I know you're going to be happy that you invested the hour to listen to content that is thrive-minded because that's what we've been doing successfully now for close to three years. And you're going to find, ask, you're going to ask yourself rather, If I had a chance to go back in time and listen to this program and make it a part of my weekly schedule, I would have done that. I didn't know this program existed, but guess what, my friends? Now you do. So make this program a part of your weekly thrive-minded activity because it's going to make a difference. The content that we continue to deliver in this program from so many of our resources, so many thought incredible thought leaders and individuals who have deep perspective on, on some of the critical things of life, Uh, They continue to pour into this program wonderful information that if you pay attention (laughs) and you implement, your life will be all the better for it. And today's program is going to be no different, my friends. We're going to have an amazing guest today that are going to deliver not only the specialty of what they do, but they're going to deliver why they do what they do. And you're going to have a sense of the investment of the time that you took today will have a great dividend in the future. So thanks you, thank you for visiting this program. And if you continue to support this program by listening in again, thank you for your support. By the way, you could have access to all of my prior broadcasts, either at your favorite podcast platform, or you can go to my site, thejmamietalkshow.com. It'll lead you to where you can find all of my prior broadcast and many of you continue to ask me where do you pick up my books you can find my books at the jmamie.com that's my site all of my vlogs my media kit my press kit everything you need to know about me and the services and with the the goodness that I'm delivering to the world trying to do my best at bringing that goodness to the world all of that information is there and finally let me just repeat you can track me down. Many of you have connected with me on all of my platforms, and you send me great testimonials. You'll send me questions. You'll give me feedback, things you like, things you don't like. Send it all. <laughs> I'm willing to hear. I'm willing to adjust as, as need be. But my platforms are simple. At the J Mamie, that is the, uh, the handle for Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Facebook is DJ Mamie at my Facebook page. And you can also track me down at all of my channels on YouTube, DJ Mamie and Survive to Thrive is one of my other channels. Before we dive into today's program, I started a conversation in our last uh, broadcast that dealt with a pet peeve. And part of turning a new corner in life is examining where you are deficient and what are some of the areas, uh, what, what's, uh, what are some of the areas that, that you need to improve in, that I need to improve in? I think having a hard look at yourself sometimes is exactly what the doctor ordered if you are serious about pursuing the next best version of you. Last week, I started talking about what makes a different person today. I spoke about how being honest, uh, not, not even so much being honest, sticking to your word, uh, not having to be reminded of the commitment you made 
today, the reality is that makes you different, right? That makes you different. 40, 50 years ago, a man's word was his bond. You can shake on it, and you knew that it was going to get done. We live in different times today. So what makes you different in the eyes of others, in their uh, perception of you, is if you just stick to what you're going, uh, what stick to what you say you're going to do, and be a man or a woman of your word. Today, I want to spend the next Thrive Talk uh, section. And by the way, I know many of you love Thrive Talk. I continue to get the feedback, and I will continue to deliver Thrive Talks, even if it's two or three minutes. It doesn't matter because I understand the value that they are delivering to many of you. But today's Thrive Talk is going to pick up on where I think a lot of people uh, struggle. I call it a toxic trait, and that's the trait of being disingenuous. Part of being someone that is admired that is highly thought of is when you are an individual that is considered as sincere. And disingenuineness is not a trait that you ever want to have applied to you. So let's just make sure that we're clear on what qualifies a person to be labeled as disingenuous, uh, as, as insincere. Let's dissect what some of these underlying characteristics are just so that we're all on the same page. And this may actually be the first time that some of you really have a clear understanding of what disingenuous looks like, means, where the, you might be a disingenuous person or you might have your radar up for someone who is disingenuous. Well, here's what happens. These characteristics, these, these often found common characteristics are usually found in people who struggle with this personality challenge. And I do call it a personality challenge. And many of you have dealt with individuals like that, I imagine. But what I found is that people don't value much. People that are disingenuous oftentimes don't value much the relationship building part of getting to know someone. So they short circuit that relationship. They, they're very good at shortcuts. In other words, they want to take the easiest route in developing a relationship with someone or not. They simply lack the interest or the patience to develop one. To them, it's just a waste of time and it only serves to either stall or delay what they really want from that arrangement. A disingenuous person is not concerned really about building a relationship, building rapport, getting to know the other person if it interferes with their personal agenda or it stalls or delays, as I said. So naturally, a component of this trait is you take shortcuts, right? But this behavior, it it further makes matters worse because they are quick. Disingenuous people look quick to devalue or discredit the opinions, the ideas, the feelings of others. And I want to share something with you, my friends. If you are thrive-minded and you want to get to the next best version of you, and I believe that's the case because you're in this, you're on this program, then nothing will alienate another person more than when they feel that they're not being validated or what they say doesn't matter. This leads me to the next common characteristic of disingenuous people. They're self-centered. Disingenuous people are self-centered. The world usually revolves around them, right? And you can expect that this type of person will only put up with you for so long 
unless you revert the attention back on them. I run into these people all the time at events. I'm at events all the time, social gatherings, networking events, business meetings. I run into these folks often, and I feel badly for them because they either are unaware of this toxic trait, which is still not excusable, or they are aware of it and they are exploiting it to no benefit of theirs. So usually these individuals will only engage with me or I see they engage with others just enough to declare it a conversation. Maybe it makes them feel good. But once they get bored with it uh, and they realize that there isn't anything that they're going to get out of it, they're quickly they're quick to end that conversation, move on to somebody else who will indulge them a little longer or at least long enough for them to solicit, make a pitch or angle their opinion somewhere because after all, it's all about them. Disingenuine people have a very difficult time of moving forward professionally uh, in their careers, uh, in relationships, in social gatherings, because this toxic trait continues to handicap them from moving forward. Can I encourage you today in this Thrive Talk? Examine yourself to see if you are displaying this toxic trait of disingenuous. You'll find in the end that if you do and you're able to and you're able to pivot and make a change and become more sincere, more transparent, more honest, less shady, <laughs> that this trait will be appreciated and welcomed. I hope that helps. Folks, we're going to be right back after the break. Hi, I'm Jolene Rich, CEO and founder of Rich Results, a women-owned business. Why choose us for your recruiting? We have a 100% fill rate. We use a research-based process to target mostly passive candidates. We have an average fill time of 55 days, and you have consistent and transparent communication with our recruiters. Jolene Rich with Rich Results. Make sure to visit us at www.richresults.com, R-I-S-C-H, results.com. Planning a vacation should be a blast and not a pain in the ass. Let Evolution Travel by Mary Margaret Denson take the stress out of deciding where to go, where to stay, and what to do while you're there. They will customize your trip to fit your style, personality, and budget. Evolution Travel is your one-stop travel shop. The best trips start with preparation and awareness and end with exhilaration and a lifetime of memories. Evolution Travel by Mary Margaret Denson. Online at myevoagent.com slash MaryM. Denson. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. This is Jay Mamie, and you have now entered your hour of Thrive Time. I'm excited about today's show because our guests are going to deliver fantastic value. Starting with our first guest, our feature spotlight is none other than Ron Corning, one of the most recognizable faces in the news world, the TV news world. And here locally in Dallas, he is the host of the podcast Morning After and the talk show Morning After. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jay. I'm happy to be here. Ron, before we get before we dive into all the goodness you've got to share in your story, can you share a little bit about your journey with our listeners? Oh gosh, how do I boil that down? Um, <laughs> well, the thirty the thirty thousand foot view about my journey is really, and it feels like just yesterday I was that kid, that small town kid, sort mm -hmm. of finding my way in a small town, feeling like I was different and not knowing 
what that was about mm-hmm. and knowing that there was a big world out there beyond that small town watching television specifically interested in news magazine shows and the news of the day maybe part of that was influenced by my my grandmother who was particularly sort of plugged in and my grandfather who was not college educated but self-taught and watching mm-hmm. meet the press on Sundays and had a real broad interest in the world and I wanted to get out there and explore it for myself and I held this dream very close and didn't share it with anybody that I wanted to be a traveling journalist who mm. told other people's stories. I was always moved by learning about other people. But I also felt like it was someone else's dream. It was a pipe dream not to come true for me. Mm. And as I made my way through high school and began this journey to college, which was very much on my on my own, because again, having two parents who hadn't gone to college, They encouraged it, but didn't know exactly how to make it happen. So I figured that out on my own. And once I got to that college environment, which was just outside Boston, I had entered as a pre-med student and I went to a seminar for the Filene Center for Work and Learning on the campus of Wheaton College, this small liberal arts, liberal school outside of Boston. And they used as an example a psychology major who was also interested in journalism. And so they had put her together with Leslie Stahl, an alumni of the school Mm -hmm. in Washington to learn about journalism and see if maybe someday she might bring her interest for psychology into the world of journalism. Maybe she'd be a writer, maybe she'd be a reporter uh, and draw on her expertise or interest in psychology. And I thought, I see myself in that. Mm. And I'm at a place where I don't have to be ashamed to say, I want to take this journey. So I went straight to the Filene Center for Work and Learning. And with no shame, I said, I'm really interested in pursuing a career in journalism. Can you help me? And the answer was, of course we can. Mm. Come sit down. Mm -hmm. Let's get started. In that first winter break, my freshman year in college, um, I became an intern at WJAR, the NBC affiliate in Providence, Rhode Island. And, And really... It took off from there. There were many other steps along the way, but I felt confident and comfortable while also dealing at times with great insecurity coming from a small town, mm-hmm. thinking I'd bitten off more than I can chew. But I kept on the journey and I, and I kept going and I've had a remarkable career and remarkable experiences along the way. Now, one of the things you just said, it's, it's so, it, it's, it's the, it epitomizes champions and thrivers. What, that's what this whole show is about. You grew up in a small town, so you had small town exposure. Yes. But you had big city ambitions. Yeah, that's that's a good analogy. Right? Yeah. And so how does that happen? How does someone who is right now currently experiencing a small town mindset, mm. but yet they're able to convince themselves that they can play in the big city? How does that happen? Well, I feel like, and not even by design, I, maybe in a, loosely I thought, I can't go to a school in a big city. I'm a small town guy, but I can go to school at a smaller school outside a big city Mm. that provides opportunity. And even that, of course, is a brand new and foreign experience to leave home as an only child close to your parents and live in a dorm room and meet new, new kids. I didn't have those experiences. I didn't have summer camp experiences. And again, back to my earlier point, I'd always felt like I was a bit of a loner. Okay. Um, I was an extrovert to a degree, but I also felt different, so I felt alone. Mm-hmm. 
I was more academic when the school really raised up those who were athletic. Um, I later, of course, would realize that I wasn't straight. I was gay. And maybe that explained why I didn't quite adapt in every social situation in high school where there were conversations around dating. That Mm -hmm. to me was something I didn't want to touch because I didn't want to reveal that about myself. And I didn't know for sure if that's what I was dealing with. So for all those reasons, I still left to an environment that was very different. And I was also from a working class family now amid a bunch of other kids who came from affluence, Mm -hmm. who had more opportunity, whose educations were more robust. They were more prepared for college than I was. So I quietly met those challenges and overcame those hurdles and just thought, you know, for every problem, there's a solution. That's right. And I also realized that it's okay to ask for help or guidance. Mm -hmm. And I have to say this too. There were people who took me in. There were people who guided me along the way. The work study program that I was in was was at the planned giving office for the school, which forged relationships with graduates and helped them with their financial campaigns and their fundraising campaigns. And the woman who ran that office had a young daughter, had a son about my age, and she took me in outside of school invited me to her home for dinners with the family when I couldn't get home for Thanksgiving. So there's a lot to be said for accepting the love and kindness of others Mm -hmm. who take an interest in you. And that's the other thing. People take an interest sometimes in you in ways that you never imagined and you have to accept it. You know, you mentioned a bunch of experiences you had, which I call them watershed moments, Mm. right? So what would you say, looking back, since we're all looking back right now. We are. What would you say (laughs) would be the watershed? Those files are opening. Oh, boy, yeah, kidding. I see it. I see the light bulbs. It's all over the place. (laughs) uh, That storehouse of memories is wide open right now. So what would you say then would be the watershed moments that you can recall that had the most impact in your personal life and Mm. also in your professional life? My personal life, the watershed moment, and it's a story you're familiar with because I spoke of it at the event where we met, the You Can Live Again event, was the traumatic brain injury that my mother suffered when I was 14. Um, It was a watershed moment in many ways. It was a sudden, tragic turn of events that robbed her of a lot and robbed us as a family of a lot. And it's a family of three. I'm an only child. And I was very close to her. And I found myself as she recovered, and it was a long road to recovery, helping her learn to read and write again, mourning the loss of who she was, while also coming to really, really savor that in many ways she was the same and I hadn't lost her entirely Mm because she could have died. Mm -hmm. And born out of that, was encouragement from her from the very moment that she recaptured her sense of self. She never lost what it means to be a mother. She put that first and always told me, life is short. Go to college. Have Pursue whatever you want to pursue. Life is too short. She knew that, and that was always kind of the foundation on which I built everything was, was her love and encouragement. And on your professional life, I know that you've had different 
experiences, different things, different curveballs that have come at you. Before mm. we go to break, and we can pick it up after the break if we need to, what have been those watershed moments that have made you who you are today as a professional? I think the watershed moment in my relatively recent life and career was probably in the spring of 2008, about two years into a job as the anchor of Good Day New York Mm -hmm. at the Fox station in New York. And I felt like at 34, 35 years old, what a remarkable opportunity to think I've come this distance in a matter of 10 years little more than 10 years. And a lot of great things were coming out of that, anchoring that three-hour live Good Day New York on the Fox affiliate. And when that went away, unexpectedly, it left me with a lot to think about. When we come back after the break, we're going to pick up right there because that requires then sometimes for us to reinvent ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's an ongoing process. And that's happening a lot today because of the pandemic. People are pivoting. But most don't understand the value of reinvention. I know you do. So we're going to talk about that after the break. Visions Productions International brings you the legendary Christian rock band David and the Giants performing March 4th at 7 p.m. at the Manitech Auditorium in Flower Mound. Join them for an enjoyable and inspiring evening with David and the Giants. Tickets on sale now at bringitontour.org. All proceeds to benefit the David and the Giants Mission Fund. David and the Giants, live at Manitech Auditorium, March 4th. Get tickets today at bringitontour.org. Join us on March 27th at noon to celebrate National Single Parent Day with the Life Changer Celebrity Golf Tournament, benefiting single parent advocate at Hackberry Creek Golf Course. This is more than just an ordinary golf tournament. It's about bringing the single parent community together and making sure that every family has access to resources and support. Proceeds will go towards assisting North Texas single moms, dads, and their children. To play, sponsor, or volunteer, sign up at singleparentadvocate.org slash events. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Having a fantastic conversation in studio with the one and only Ron Corning talking about reinvention. We left off in our last segment, Ron, uh, really thinking about how thrivers today, they have to be flexible and they also have to be willing to reinvent themselves. That's something that you've done in your career many times. What advice would you share with those that need to consider this idea of reinventing? Well, it's interesting because I think I was too defined by what I did and not who I was. Mm. And it's because so much of my time and energy and so many of the sacrifices I've made over the years, traveling to various markets, taking on jobs and giving up holidays and giving up time with family because I was so myopically focused on success as it's measured in in television, that when I lost that job, that big job that could have been, if not a lifetime job, certainly a great place to be to create other opportunities in the business out of New York, being on the air, et cetera. When I lost that, I really had to come to terms with what that meant because part of me felt like that's as good as it's ever going to get and it's gone. And I was so mired down in all that that brings, which is depression, Mm -hmm. feeling like nothing I'd done really counts for anything when one person decides they want somebody else in your seat. 
And I had to get out of my own way Mm -hmm. in order to move forward. And I had to find happiness elsewhere. And when I began to find happiness elsewhere, I told myself, I will never be defined again by what I do. I'll be defined by other things. Mm. And I think there were some people who were much better at that. I have women friends of mine. I think women are better at that than men. Okay. Women can can put their life in perspective and say, okay, that didn't work out, but I've got my health. I've got my children. I've got my family. People love me. There are joy. There, there are joys to be found in other things. So that's where it began for me. It wasn't about, I got a better job. I made as much money. It was, where's my mindset that will allow me to move forward? And I may not necessarily have that conventional high profile morning anchor job, but I can still contribute. I can still make a living. I can still have meaningful relationships and I don't have to be defined by that. You know, I think that's a great point. And I believe that people get caught into that trap where they're defined by what they do, not by who they are. And the challenge is that if you get stuck in that place, you're not going to be very much open to reinventing yourself. So when new opportunities present themselves that don't line up with who you think that you should be, you're going to turn them down. They could be a blessing, right? Mm -hmm. There was a woman that I met that I used to interview regularly on the overnight show at ABC for the early morning newscast. And when the job at Fox went away, out of nowhere, she called me and said, what are you doing next? How are you feeling about the business? Would you consider coming to work for me? And she had at the time a fairly progressive business model. And that was a website that was dedicated to small business entrepreneurship And she did a daily sort of newscast around uh, small business ownership and and reaching that community. And one of the first websites that ever streamed live video, sbtv.com, small business television. And that was 2009. Mm. And I remember thinking, who's going to be watching videos online? Well, here we are. (laughs) I mean, she was ahead of the curve and I clearly was not. But that opportunity was for me. an opportunity to really recognize I have these skill sets. They are transferable, right? I'm able to take my ability to storytell and find personal stories. And in some cases, inspirational personal stories of success in small business and help create this website. And I was managing a team of 14 people and I found a lot of joy in that. And so to my earlier point, I had to open my mind Mm -hmm. to the opportunity experience it and begin to connect the dots and say, all right, there's a whole other world out here and I can be part of it. Uh, And it doesn't have to be, again, that conventional media job for me to feel like I'm contributing in a meaningful way and and getting a lot out of it as well. Yeah. One of the things I always tell people is I I hate the phrase stick to your lane, stay in your own lane. Because I I think part of that problem with that is not only do you miss out on the opportunities that the other lanes can bring, but I always tell folks, it's not stick to your lane, it's stick to the highway because every every lane represents another expression of who you are, Mm -hmm. another opportunity to express who you really are. And in this case, storyteller at heart, right? Well, that, that experience, that person who you are can be expressed in multiple different ways as long as you stay on the highway, you can create multiple different lanes, which creates multiple different experiences of who you're called to be. And I'm going to add to the analogy, if you don't mind. Go for it. Let's do it. Sometimes it's okay to take a detour. Yes. You may come back to that lane, but the scenic route mm-hmm. may provide 
an experience you never imagined. Or you may get off an exit and decide this two-lane road can be four lanes and you're going to build it. That's right. And you're going to bring other people north when you were going west. I mean, I know it sounds ethereal and it's all you know, heady and all those things. Mm-hmm. But no, I think that's that's really true. But we do get caught up in this notion. Here's what I do. Here's what I'm good at. And there may come a point where that road gets a little rocky, mm-hmm. where you get crowded out of your lane. It's not your highway anymore. That's right. What direction do you have to go? Right. Always keep an eye out for the off-ramp. Yeah. Always keep an eye out for the that's off-ramp. The, that's the uh, title of your next book. <laughs> keep an eye out for the off-ramp. <laughs> hey, I'm going to start working on when I get back today, man. <laughs> hey, speaking about interviews, you've interviewed a lot of people in your career. Who would you say are the most memorable uh, individuals that you've interviewed that have made the most impression uh, in your life? Well, that's an interesting one. Um, because there, I could tell you about some crazy interviews. Carmen Electra one time came on good day, New York. It was a disaster. Oh my gosh. (laughs) She was not having a good time of it for reasons that we weren't even aware, but, uh, we had been uh, complicit in it in ways we didn't even understand, but she showed up in a bad mood and it was partly our fault, um, unwittingly. And we were confronted with that on live television. That was interesting. I think meaningful people that I've interviewed, interestingly enough, are people that nobody really knows Mm -hmm. outside of the small communities where I worked and interviewed them. Mm. I worked in 1993, my very first job in Clarksburg, West Virginia, and I was tasked with covering the coal miners' strike. And I was invited into the homes of people who were suffering, frankly. They were suffering with no work. They were suffering with no health care. And I told their stories, gave them a voice, and remember thinking, this is what this business is all about. Mm -hmm. It's really understanding the plight of other people. In terms of those celebrities, big name people that I've interviewed, you know, Tyler Perry, I did a half hour special with him. I'm the only person that he sat down to interview with when he was in town. I interviewed him on stage for Genesis Women's Shelter for their fundraising event, and then we went behind the scenes for another interview And I really appreciated how he let his guard down and let me ask some questions I think that were personal and Mm -hmm. questions that, you know, might otherwise have been rejected had they not been asked by people in his inner circle, like Mm -hmm. Gail King or Oprah. And I thought that's really gracious of him to allow that. But I've always felt like you can ask almost anything of anyone Mm -hmm. if it's done with the right intention. That's right. And if they understand that you're asking the question for a real purpose that could benefit others, not just to be nosy. Right? Uh, and I agree. I, I've, I've had some great folks on this show and I've asked some questions that afterwards they've said to me, Jay, I've never been asked that question, but I felt comfortable enough to answer. Isn't that a great compliment? It's a wonderful compliment, man. I mean, right off the back, that tells me I'm on the right track. I was going to, you literally, you stole the thought out of my head. What that tells you is I'm in the right place. Right. Because if it were feeling awkward or if you weren't being invited in, if you were hitting a wall with people, you'd have to start to question, okay, why why is this not feeling right? Why is this not working? That's exactly right. And those are those red flags that we need to pay attention to sometimes. In our last couple of minutes, we've mentioned individuals you've interviewed, but what about stories? What stories have you covered that have changed the way you see the world? Again... Going back to stories that I covered very early on that were emotional, Mm -hmm. that hit close to home, others that enlightened me in ways I never imagined. I remember going up to cover a missing woman 
Her name was Ruth Loader, and she lived on a farm north of Steubenville, Ohio, between Cleveland and Steubenville, Ohio. And I remember being one of many reporters who showed up. Many were turned away. For some reason, I connected with them in a way that they invited me in to her home where her glasses were on the nightstand where she laid out her medications Mm -hmm. and she was gone. And it turns out that she was kidnapped by two young men who went on a cross country crime spree that then began to gain national attention. And I stayed close to that family because I identified with them in so many ways. Their grandmother reminded me of my grandmother. Mm. I told their story in a way that respected her, respected them, the emotional impact of it, and ultimately might have even helped bring to justice the the two guys who were later arrested in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So that stands out, covering the Pulse nightclub shooting down in Orlando. Oh, yeah. They sent me there the mm-hmm. morning of. Mm. I was there at the hospital as family members showed up. Some of them received joyous news that their loved ones were, were okay and others received the worst kind of news. Yeah. So when you're in the middle of that human experience, um, I feel like you don't want to exploit it mm-hmm. and you want to be able to tell stories that really capture what, this, what these events really mean not just individually, but what does it mean collectively about gun violence and protecting our loved ones when they go out to a nightclub and they're mm-hmm. just there with their friends mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a turn in, in the gay world where there were young men and women there mm-hmm. with their mothers and their fathers, mm-hmm. with their family members mm-hmm. who were their straight allies. Right. I mean, that's a real shift and a change in our, in our, in our culture. Well, I appreciate you being on the show and sharing your heart, sharing your wisdom, but I can't let you go before you give a golden nugget of advice <laughs> to that young, budding reporter, journalist that wants Run. to break. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, folks. Golden nuggets of wisdom from Ron Corning. Run. <laughs> no, run, run into it if it's your passion, but understand it comes with great sacrifice and the business is changing and we don't know what direction it's going to go. A lot of the higher right. paid jobs aren't paying as much anymore. A lot of the reporters of my generation who are able to focus solely on telling a really meaningful story are spread thin, covering multiple things a day. Mm-hmm. So the business is changing, but at its core, we hope, is honesty right. and truth. Correct. And just because you don't like the truth doesn't make it fake. That's right. It means you don't like it. That's right. And I think journalists today are facing, in some respects, a real uphill battle in in convincing people that they're there to be truth tellers and not spread propaganda. I agree. Ron, it's been awesome having you in the station today. You've got an open mic here, brother, anytime you want it. We're going to ask you to come back again and again to continue to deliver some It's wisdom. the same on my show. I, I really want to reciprocate because your messaging and your approach and what you do here I think is really meaningful. I appreciate you, brother. Folks, we're going to be right back after the break. Hey everyone, this is Jay Mamie from the Jay Mamie Talk Show. I just want you to know that my book, my 10th book, is finally available, Thrivology. 
action-stoking and thought-provoking quotes and phrases is now available for your purchasing pleasure. This book has already making tidal waves among those who appreciate content that is driven to give you a thrive-minded mentality and also reminders throughout the course of the week of the things you need to do to thrive. Guys, you can pick up my book, Thriveology, at thejmaney.com. Friends, this is Jay Mamie, and I'm thrilled to announce that our merchandise site is now open for business. My inspirational quotes, encouragement words, and thought-provoking phrases can be printed on a number of very cool items to help you stay in thriving mode. Make sure to visit my website, thejmamie.com. Look for the store link. Check out the items. Once again, that'll be at thejmamie.com. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. About to introduce one of the most impacting institutions that Dallas has to offer and its director, Mary Pat Higgins, as part of our Impact Spotlight. One of the segments of the show, my friends, that I so value is when we highlight institutions, whether they are local, national, and even abroad, we've done that, that are making an impact in the lives of others, either by the service they provide or the access to information that they uh, make available for people to know. And that's the reason why the Impact Spotlight today is focusing on the Dallas Holocaust and Human Rights Museum. And the president and CEO of the facility, Mary Pat Higgins, is joining us on the show today. Mary Pat, welcome to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Thank you so much, Jay. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Mary Pat, you and I had a chance to officially meet about two, three weeks ago. I happened to be downtown, and and your schedule worked out that you were gracious enough to give me a little bit of a tour. My family was with me at the time. And I got to tell you something, Mary Pat. I walked past the museum, as I shared with you, a number of times in visiting some other facilities, some other uh, exhibits here. But I didn't know the gold and just the quality of information that I had walked past so many times until I walked in. I was so impressed with the facility, and we're going to dive into all of that because the listeners really need to understand this gem that exists in Dallas and why it's critical for them to visit and support it. Um, but I was impressed with the quality of information, uh, the the detail to the information. It was just wonderful. And I'm a detail-oriented guy, and I, I really appreciated that. But Mary Pat, before we dive into all of that and then some, I'd like for you to share a little bit of your your history with our listeners before we begin. Well, first of all, thanks so much for your kind words about the museum, Jay. I'm so proud uh, to, have, to have been a part of building this museum. So my history is, is really unusual for being the president and CEO of the Holocaust and Human Rights Museum. I started my career in public accounting. Mm-hmm. And um, then after about five years, had really the good fortune at a pretty young age to move to the Hockaday School, um, which is the largest school school in the country right here in Dallas, Texas, and became the chief financial officer. And I wound up working there for 22 years. And over that time period, my roles and responsibilities grew. And um, 
really, you know, I was responsible for everything non-academic, except for fundraising. And um, so I learned so much about nonprofit management and about project management and building, in addition to, you know, financial accounting and investment management and, and all of those things that a CFO does. And because I had been in that role for quite a long time, I... Um, felt like I needed to do something to, you know, spice things up a little bit, make life more interesting, and started volunteering quite a bit and was on the board of a number of different nonprofits. And if you're an accountant, you usually have the opportunity to become the treasurer. And so mm-hmm. I had done that. And um, I, I got in touch or found the Dallas Holocaust Museum at the time and was asked to serve on the board and became their treasurer and really just um, grew to have a, a huge passion for the work of the museum. Um, you know, when I was at Hockaday, we were impacting the lives of a thousand students every year. But at our museum, we have the opportunity to impact the lives of you know tens of thousands of students through our work. And our goal is to help particularly students, but really all of us, think about the choices that we make and um, and how they can impact other people's lives. And you know, we talk about this concept of upstander behavior, trying to inspire people to stand up for themselves and to stand up for the rights of others and to work to combat um, fairness and equality um, or injustice. And really think about what a huge difference we can make in the world if we live our lives looking for opportunities to be upstanders. So when I had the opportunity to come on board as the president and CEO of the museum and and help, you know, design and fundraise and plan um, and build this new museum, it really was the opportunity of a lifetime. So I jumped on it. You know, and I'm glad that you did because the the – the flow of the museum is so well designed, starting from the entry point that leads into the theater. And I'm going to share, just say to my listeners, some of this conversation, you, you try to imagine uh, what uh, what we're talking about here, but you ultimately can benefit by visiting the museum and seeing for yourself what we're chatting about here. But when I walked in, Mary Pat, the first thing that caught my attention was, and I, I'll let you describe it, but there's a, a wonderful quote in the entrance of that museum that identifies three types of people. Mm-hmm. And I walked mm-hmm. out when it was all said and done. I said, you know, Mary Pat, if there's anything I walked away with here. Now, tons of stuff. And my, my visit was too brief, and that's why I'm planning on going back. But it was the quote as soon as you enter the uh, the museum doors, uh, the exhibits. Can you right. share that quote? And why why is it there and what does it mean? Well, so I think... So Jay, there are two quote there are two things that you see immediately, and I'm not sure which one you're speaking about. There's this definition of an upstander, mm-hmm. and that is you know someone who sees something wrong and works to make it right, who stands up for their own rights and the rights of others, and works to combat injustice and equality and unfairness. And then when you walk in the orientation theater, um, where a short film, you know helps try to set the stage for your visit and says, you know, today we're going to introduce you to four different types of people, mm-hmm. victims, perpetrators, upstanders, and bystanders. That's the and one. as you yep. tour this museum, we want you to think about what kind of person you are. Um, there's also a really great Albert Einstein quote, um, you know, that it basically says there's far more to fear about people. Uh, 
from people who stand by and do nothing Mm -hmm. than from the perpetrators. And so all of that beginning experience is geared towards helping our visitor understand, you know, that the majority of us every day are bystanders. Um, We turn a blind eye. We see things happening and choose not to engage, choose not to stand up and do something. Um, Throughout our exhibit, we introduce people that um, were brave enough to stand up to injustice or unfairness and, you know, sometimes risking their lives, sometimes just um, working through the democratic process in our own country to bring about change. But we hope to to help our visitors understand what a huge difference those people have made and to inspire us all to be more like that in our daily lives. I think I was most moved by the exhibit of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things that I know is is a staple or at least a mission point, a mission statement of the the museum is that history survives through memory right? and humanity right. lives here. And I think, boy, if you want to talk about history surviving through a tragic time in our, in our in this on this planet's history was the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And you, you guys have encapsulated that period wonderfully. Can you share a little bit about that so that folks can understand what they could experience when they eventually go visit? Sure. You know, thank you, Jay, for, you know, your your words about our exhibit. It's there's so much content in history, and what we've tried to do is pare it down a little bit to make it more accessible than than some of the huge Holocaust museums that are, you know, really wonderful around the world. Um, we start in Nazi Germany and, and you know, and, and help people understand the conditions that were in place that really allowed Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party to come to power. Um, and as you, you go through the exhibit, um, we look at how the Holocaust evolved geographically. And again, we're doing that to be able to emphasize this upstander versus bystander behavior. There were parts of Europe that um, were much more likely to stand up for their Jewish neighbors and offer aid and assistance. And, and then there were parts where you know, the neighbors turned upon their Jewish neighbors and were much more likely to be part of the killing process. Um, And, you know, throughout that exhibit, we really hold up the Holocaust as a paradigm of genocide for for many reasons that you'll learn through our exhibit. It's, it's, It's very unusual. It's the only time, you know, when every man, woman, and child, um, was who identified with a certain group, whether or not they were practicing um, Jews. But if they had any Jewish heritage, they were slated to be murdered, regardless of where they lived. Um, and, you know, so it's we really want to go through that experience and help people understand the intentionality of the Germans, that it was um, it was clear and well-documented what they were trying to do, mm-hmm. and that they had a lot of assistance um, in, in different parts of the country and in the world, and, you know, that, that the world looked on and knew what was happening and stood by and did nothing. And because of that, six million people were murdered. You know, when I saw that part of the exhibit, it was very touching. It was very moving. In fact, my son, who's uh a uh, teenager and uh, young, preteen, really, and starting to really mm-hmm. understand the world. There was only so much of that he could uh, he absorb because it was so well documented that he felt, and he told me afterwards, that he felt the sadness 
that must have occurred with those mm -hmm. folks during that time. That's how well exhibited and documented um, that particular uh, wing of the museum is. But the focus also on the museum is human rights. And to, let's talk a little bit about that focus and sure. what are some of the wings and exhibits that the museum currently is showcasing to continue to mm -hmm. expand this mission, this, this message of the importance of human rights. Well, we move forward, you know, in time from the Holocaust to because because of the Holocaust, there really was an emergence of a modern human rights framework. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights was adopted by most of the UN member nations in 1948 because of the Holocaust. So we teach about that, but we also teach about um, the process of genocide and cover other historic genocides because, you know, the Holocaust is not the only genocide in time, and we want people to be alert to the warning signs. And then I think what is helps us end on a more hopeful note is we end looking at the United States and how... Um, it has been possible, working through our democratic system, to work to bring about change. We have these amazing ideals that all men are created equal, mm -hmm. but those ideals have not always been enjoyed by everyone and, and still aren't by everyone today. So we want um, to present you know, people that are continually working to, to bring about change. Um, and, you know, that's all in our permanent exhibition. We have rotating special exhibitions, and right now our special exhibition really focuses on the LGBTQ um, civil rights movement that got a jump start with the uprising at Stonewall mm -hmm. uh, 55 years ago. And I think that it is really inspiring because, you know, while 55 years feels like a long time, it's it's pretty phenomenal to see the change that has happened in the rights for LGBTQ citizens in 55 years. And it's it's because people have stood up for their rights and demanded change. You know, one of the things that I know that people can walk away with as, as a takeaway value proposition from visiting the museum is the sense of that, you know, we're all created equal, right? And everyone has the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And not only is that something that should be defended, but as you said earlier, the upstander should jump to action the minute they see that that is being taken away from, either obviously from themselves, but more importantly from others as well. Um, we should be as eager to jump into action when we see those rights being violated uh, from others as quickly as we are when they're being violated from our own selves. Would you agree with that? I completely agree. And, you know, when you really, when you study some of these people that we highlight as upstanders, what you learn pretty quickly is most of them were just ordinary people. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are examples of people that were diplomats and, you know, in positions of power, but many were just normal people who saw something wrong and stood up and said, no, I'm, I'm not going to let this happen. And, you know, we want people to know upstanders aren't superheroes. You know, it's, they're everyday people, and we all have the ability to do that. Well, Mary Pat Higgins, you've been a phenomenal guest. I knew that you would be. This is such a, an important topic. And I'd like to invite you to come back on a program in the future as you have more exhibits and more programs that the public and those, especially those here in Dallas and, and, and within the region, should know about if they're intentional about learning and exploring not only our history and how to learn from the mistakes of the past, 
but how to fashion a better future as a result. So we appreciate being on the program, Mary Pat Higgins. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Jay. It's just been a pleasure talking with you. Folks, that wraps up another fantastic week of thrive-minded content from incredible people sharing incredible messages. Until next Sunday, keep thriving.